Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. Welcome to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I am your host, Amit Burtoni. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only. So you may hear in these episodes some adult language. That's because these conversations are like the ones you might have with your own friends, and you all try to figure this whole parenting and life thing out. So if you're into real conversations by real people, you are in the right place and welcome. Today, I have a guest on One Broken Mom. Her name is Jax Anderson, and she is known as the psychotherapist. Yes, as in Alfred Hitchcock. Hi, Jax. Hi, Ami. How are you? I am good. So why don't you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Well, as you said, my name is Jax Anderson, and I call myself the psychotherapist. I put a space between psycho and therapist. <laughs> I own a mental health clinic in a beautiful, it's called A Beautiful Journey in Appleton, Wisconsin, And I am a licensed professional counselor for about going on 15 years now. Cool. So um, I know that from your practice, you specialize in uh, teens and tweens and, um, and you're a mom Mm -hmm. as well um, as I Mm -hmm. am. So I've got two kids. How many kids do you have? I have one seven-year-old Okay, and one kid. That's it. I couldn't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so then you probably know that when kids are in those, um, they're the teen and tween years, the little kid that used to blurt out everything they were thinking, no matter how inappropriate they, you know, it was suddenly like evolve into Benedictine monks who've taken this vow of silence when it comes to their parents. So you, <laughs> you know, you've got that in your horizon here. Um, and so parents oh, you know, yes. get to this age where, you know, we struggle with getting them to talk, but you, you're here today because you've got some tips for us to, uh, to help out. And so, but I have to ask you first, why the hell would you ever want to specialize in working with teenagers? <laughs> you know, it's interesting that I'm glad you asked me that question because when I, was working at the job I had prior to going back to graduate school to become a counselor, I really didn't like teenagers. I really didn't want to have anything to do with them. I mean, I knew like what it was like being a teenager. So I think that's largely why I just don't want to be around them because I remember that angst and I want nothing to do with it. So uh, in that job though, they made me get trained in this area that put me in a position to have to work with teenagers on a daily basis. So after some bumps along the way and trying to uh, talk them out of training me, but then also getting trained and learning to work with teenagers, I actually found it really awesome. I mean, I just fell in love with teenagers and was able to work with them. Eventually, the teens were talking to me more than they were talking to anybody else. And I kind of became like the teen whisperer there. So um, (laughs) that's kind of how... When I went through grad school, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep working with teenagers. I love them. They keep me young. And I have this way of helping them talk to their parents and getting their parents to listen and vice versa that helps improve that relationship. So 
as long as it keeps working for me, I might as well just keep working for them, right? Awesome. Yeah, for sure. And and so, and that's why um, today's episode, we're going to, you know, kind of narrow in on, you know, one particular aspect of the work that you do. You have developed this uh, amazing resource that's available online, and we'll, we'll towards the end of this, mm-hmm. we'll get back into how people can get to it. But um, it's all designed to help parents strengthen their relationship with their teen, and it includes um, seven different topic areas, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So, what made you um, decide to per, uh, to provide this type of a resource for parents? And it's not just for parents either; um, it's also for people like educators and other folks that you know are working mm-hmm. with teenagers on a regular basis. What compelled you to put something like this together? And, and get it out there? Well, it's something that I've said over my career for a long time. There's seven different things that I've, you know, pretty much found myself saying over and over and over again and helping parents and teens work through this stuff over and over and over again. So I just thought, you know, I could put this together in an online course and thank goodness for the technology we have nowadays where I could do that and reach so many more people than just the people I can reach in my small community in Wisconsin. Like I don't have to be face to face with these people, you know, these parents or teachers or other counselors that work with teenagers all the time, even law enforcement that works with teenagers all the time, they can watch this course and see me on video and download the templates and the worksheets that come along with it. And, they can benefit from this as well. It's less than 10 minutes a day for seven days. And, you know, it's as if we had, you know, a six week counseling session that, you know, you got all the information from me anyway, which is what I would do in in sessions. Right. Yeah. And that's awesome. Number one on this is the learning to observe for the purpose of gathering information and learning to respond as opposed to reacting. Now that seems really nuanced. What's the difference between responding Mm -hmm. and reacting? Well, the difference between responding and reacting is reacting we tend to, if you think about when you first immediately hear something that causes, you know, that's pretty significant for you, it causes an emotional reaction. So when we react, we're reacting with emotionality. We're, 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 we're reacting from a place of it's our emotions first and our thoughts second. Mm-hmm. And when we respond, we have taken a breath. We've allowed our emotions to flow. We've acknowledged them, but we didn't express them so much. And we respond from a place where we've taken a breath. We've thought it. We've run it through our prefrontal cortex. We've assessed it and analyzed it. And now this is what I'm going to say. That doesn't mean you still can't be a bit emotional about it, Mm -hmm. but you've thought about it first and you've responded versus just reacting. Right. That's why I say observe with curiosity, you know, kind of take that different perspective, sit back and observe. And get curious about what's going on versus putting your meaning on it with a reaction. Right. And so how do, how do teens react to these two different approaches to it that you've seen? Well, teens really like this because what they'll say to me is, yes, that's what I want. My parents or my guardians, my teachers, whatever. That's what I would like them to do. Because if when they come at me so emotional... I get worried about being judged. I'm worried about them being angry at me. Sometimes teenagers will tell me that they're scared of that reaction. So they shut down mm. and then they don't want to talk and they won't say anything more. So then the, then the parents or the guardian, you know, whoever the adult is sometimes gets more worked up mm-hmm. and more emotional. Now my teen has shut down. Now I'm in addition to being mad at whatever I was mad at. Now I'm mad that they're not talking to me and now I'm emotional about that. Right. And they're like, you know, 
the teen is just like, I don't know. You have to teach my parent how to respond. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do that. All right, we're on that. Um, And, you know, and that brings up, you know, something that I've mentioned before, you know, any of the other posts and just this is one of those things that, you know, um, mental health and just kind of like improving Mm -hmm. all of it for everyone, especially when we're talking about our kids. It's not a spectator Mm -hmm. sport. You, You don't get the privilege as the parent of sitting on the sideline and letting your kid deal with issues like you're in it like mm-hmm. you're in the weeds with them mm-hmm. because what they are is they're really responding to you you know um mm-hmm. and that environment and stuff um one of the other things that you you cover is learning to expand communication utilizing open-ended versus closed uh, closed-ended inquiries what are some examples mm-hmm. of these two types of things that parents do in terms of being open versus closed so when you've observed with curiosity and now you're kind of getting a sense of what's going on from, you know, your prefrontal cortex, your thinking brain, not your emotional brain. Now you can be a part of the solution rather than contributing to the problem. But, you know, teenagers, as we all well know, aren't really good at figuring what's, out, what's going on for them in the moment. Like they need some help with that. And as we just talked about, it's better to do it without so much emotion. So an open-ended question or open-ended inquiry might be something where you're asking your teen how you can help versus, you know, a closed-ended question, which would be, um, is something bothering you? That's a yes or no question. So your Mm -hmm. teen could just say, yeah, or no. And then that's it. It's closed. It's done. Asked and answered. When you're asking an open-ended question, you might be asking something that needs a little bit more than a yes or no question. Like, is there any, you know, you know, um, it seems like you're upset. Tell me what's going on. You know, that's, that's more of, you know, they have to give more than a yes or no for that, that type of inquiry. Now, I, I, this is, this, you know, feels like it's a small little topic, but this is actually really important mm-hmm. because I think a lot of parents mm-hmm. don't realize that teens are still emotionally developing and and they are learning Mm -hmm. this process. This doesn't just come naturally to people. And I think that's one of the biggest kind of misunderstandings in the world is that we're just born who we are and, you know, we come out Mm -hmm. of the box ready to, you know, uh, all we need to do is just feed it and make sure that it crawls on time and it's all ready to go. (laughs) But that's really not true. Emotional development is this ongoing process. And in the teenage years, it changes. And, you know, and this is my opinion, you know, I'm not a, a therapist like you, but I think that this is the most important time to be able to give our kids those tools um, of, of yeah. getting them ready for emotional development and, and getting them to train. I mean, these questions are like training them to how to perceive on their own what they're feeling and to help them kind of develop the dialogue and the words to use to describe it. Because, you know, we assume a 14 year old knows how to say that they're pissed, but they really don't exactly. know, you know, no, they have no idea. When you hit about age 11 or 12, that's when we go into this, every human being goes into this stage of development, brain development called the adolescent stage of development. That happens, the adolescent stage of development is the longest developmental process for the brain. It's from the age of 12 to 25 years of age. So from 12 to 25 years of age, that is when the prefrontal cortex, that our front part of our brain and our foreheads is is starting to develop and come online. So when you say as a parent, you're like, what the shit? I have told my teenager who's 15, 14, 13, whatever, like, why do I have to keep reminding them like a million times that they have to go to this meeting on Saturday? Like, and then they still missed it. 
And here's the thing, like, you have to can get good with repeating yourself, you're mm-hmm. just gonna have to get good with it. Because teens need that they need the repetition. And when you think you've explained something to a teenager, um, you're going to have to explain it differently and have a conversation with them around it several more times because they might look like they get it, but it's not in there. They just don't have the brain capacity yet to really be able to store that stuff back into their long-term memory. It's just coming online. So parents, you know, and this is where we get into lecture mode. Like parents are like, I have to explain it to them a million times. Yes, you have to repeat it. You have to have that conversation. There needs to be repetition, but that doesn't mean you have to lecture them a million times. Mm -hmm. Instead of always lecturing at them or talking at them, you can ask them to engage with you in something versus lecturing. So Mm -hmm. take the pressure off of both parties. Yeah. But yeah, that brain developmental process, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also that age time, that 11 to, you know, whatever, and and again, up to 25. I mean, I, you know, I remind people brain development actually is going into your twenties and they're looking and like, again, everybody thinks it just came out of the box (laughs) ready to go. Um, But that, that age group is tough, I think on parents, because there's also this complete idea that they're more independent now. You know, that they're old enough that, you know, you can actually leave your kid alone more. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's, that's not what what can happen. And so, you know, they, you know, we, uh, we don't engage with them as much. They want to hang out with their friends. I mean, just Mm -hmm. things, but we, we start treating them like they're little adults at that point and they're not really ready for that. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I see that. And I think there's this very strong desire and push for independence from a teenager. And Mm -hmm. absolutely, I think to a certain degree, they should be considered adults in training because ultimately they are, but they're in training. They're not a child anymore. They're not a kid anymore. They're still, yes, they're still our offspring and they still need guidance. Of course, they shouldn't be left home for days at a time, but here, every teenager is different too. What, what, what might work for your teenager might not work for another person's teenager. You know, some are more mature than others. Some catch on quicker than others, you know, and there's so many different extenuating factors that play into one particular teenager's experience. But if you shift your perspective as an adult of, as a parent of a teenager and think this, my teenager is an adult in training, how would I approach somebody who's practicing to be an adult with this problem versus a kid mm-hmm. you know that you they still need your support and guidance they still need your direction they still need you to say yes or no they still need you to make decisions from them for them from time to time but there's a different way in which you can approach doing that than just black and white boom boom authoritative manner not saying that every parent does that but right, right. a lot of them do yeah, they yeah. do. They do. They think that if I just mm-hmm. tell them and done, that's that's the my obligation right. for helping at this point. And that the kids just need yeah, to figure no. it out on their own. Right. And sometimes right. emotionally that's not that's really not possible. They they can't. They still need No, that they guidance. need to process it. Yeah. Yep. They still need the guidance. They still need to talk about it. Yep. Um, one of the other items that you talk about is using humor as a communication tool. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, despite how cool I think I am, my kids definitely think that I'm a dork. Um, so how does a parent <laughs> use this successfully and not just end up lo- having their kids lose all respect for them? Sure. Well, I think just, again, like, get okay with being a dork. Because anytime an adult that, you know, is, is uh, responsible for raising a teenager that teen is going to look at them and roll their eyes when they're funny. And then like auntie can come over and do the same thing. And the teen's going to laugh 
you know, so, I mean, just get good with being kind of seen as a dork when you're attempting to be funny, which in effect is actually funny <laughs> for the relationship. So, and I think like the reason why I say this is use humor is humor neutralizes anxiety and frustration, mm-hmm. you know, it, and it, it can be utilized to cope with situations that become really very tense. And, and I'm not suggesting using humor to like make fun, poke fun, become passive aggressive or anything. Don't use it for evil, mm. but you know, it, it can be really a really useful tool to open up conversations with your teenager when you're being a little silly or you're being funny, you know, or you're checking in on your teenager, you know? So instead of checking in on your teenager with, Hey, where are you? What are you doing? Maybe you send, you know, like a silly selfie, that, you know, your teenage, give them an opportunity to, okay, make a little fun about fun, you know, about you with their friends, but then they're responding to you and, mm-hmm. and they get to save face with their friends. But then at the same time, they know that that means, Hey mom, Hey dad, I'm fine. Or, yeah. you know, that they're supposed to respond. So I think humor really helps just all around, like, you know, helping the relationship grow more too, because humor, we just, it just feels like it just gets sucked out of our daily life and school and just sucked out of everything at work, you know, and like, where's the humor in things? So I think also adding a little bit of humor, allowing that to kind of seep in and be a part of the relationship is really good for teens to, for modeling that, for them to go on and add a little humor into their lives and laugh instead of getting so irritated, you know, that you slammed your, you know, um, water bottle in your in your car door and now it's all over your freaking car you know like laugh first instead of you know getting angry is a really good coping tool (laughs) (laughs) right now you did touch on this and I'm glad you said something about this because this is you know kind of like one of my my personal triggers and um, and that is being humorous is not the same as teasing and, um, yeah. and I know that uh, you know my experience growing up was that that happened a lot you know, towards me, that's the, you know, you grow up at some point and you realize that that's just a sign that you were dealing with emotionally immature adults, you know, and that's how they, they Mm -hmm. handle it and stuff. And it is really kind of a form of bullying, you know, an adult to a child to sit there and poke fun. And, you know, and for me it was, um, you know, just making fun of, you know, my intelligence in a way of like, well, you think you're so smart, but yet you're so stupid. You do blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and and that kind of stuff still carries on. I mean, it burns. I mean, I'm 46, you know, it it still burns in there. So Mm -hmm. humor is not the same as teasing your kid. How does a parent know when they've kind of maybe are crossing the line between, you know, it being inappropriate and actually is hurting their Mm -hmm. child? Um, You know, even on a teenager, this happens with little kids. I mean, what's, what's Mm -hmm. the difference between, you know, teasing and, you know, everybody kind of engaged in the joke at the same time? Right. Well, I think you can kind of like tell when somebody's had enough, you know, people sort of get that hurt look on their face. And maybe all of a sudden the, the energy shifts. I mean, I think you can really tell when you're being humorous and somebody all of a sudden, you know, gets hurt by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing you can do is talk to your teenager. Hey, you know, I, I really love to uh, sometimes waste some uh, awkward moments with humor. Is that okay with you? Have I ever gone too far? what is too far? I don't want to go too far and embarrass you and vice versa. You know, it's okay with me. If you go this far, it's okay with me if you make fun of my big feet, but it's not okay with me if you make fun of my, you know, unibrow, Mm -hmm. like, you know, stuff like that. I think having those conversations again, we're, we're using 
honesty, authenticity, authenticity and transparency to express our feelings with our teenager. We're opening up to them. We're being vulnerable. We're modeling for them how to express feelings totally appropriately and then receiving it and having that empathy. So I think the conversation definitely can take place. But in the moment, if you notice it's happening, just stop. Mm-hmm. Stop doing it and and later on have a conversation like, hey, I I noticed that while I was making fun of something I've made fun before, you got it looked like it upset you more today than it has in the past. Was am I, is that accurate or am I misunderstanding something? And then allow them to explain to you what happened. Right, and I think too, you know, uh, I, what I want a parent to hear in that is why is that important to do that. And, and again, it goes back to, there's a lot of emotional development and brain development still happening. So, mm-hmm. you know, putting kids in situations where it generates like a toxic stress situation, because now they're feeling like they're being um, teased or degraded, that, that has right. a negative impact on that emotional development. It, and, you know, because sometimes parents are like, just get over it. Like, you know, you just can't take a joke. Right. That's what I heard all the time growing up was well, just because you mm-hmm. can't take a joke when I was sitting there upset mm-hmm. at that happening. And it's like, you know, I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I found myself uh, replicating the same behavior with my daughter occasionally. And when she looked at me and said, mom, you have to stop teasing me. I don't have a sense of humor. My fucking heart just dropped because I yeah, saw myself right. back at me and I went, holy shit. I'm, you know, and it, it, yeah. it took her and I actually talking to each other to do that. Um, but again, mm-hmm. it's like, I, you know, when you start to learn neuroscience and brain development, you realize mm-hmm. like, wow, that's, that's re- that really is poison as seemingly innocent as it seems, right. everybody, adults are used to teasing each other all the time, but with a kid, mm-hmm. it's toxic. I mean, it can be toxic. Right. And you have, to, and also this, this probably will be helpful for people to hear is that um, when a lot of people like to use sarcasm for humor, I mm-hmm. personally love sarcasm, but <laughs> um, no. again, it's all about the in- intention. It's all about the intention <laughs> and how you're using it and you know, how it's communicated, how you say it, whatever. But kids, 10 and under, I mean, they don't start beginning to understand sarcasm until they're beyond 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So like that part of the brain, they just can't understand it. So developmentally, I mean, and maybe there's certain exceptions to the rule. There are some kids um, that probably can understand it. But in general, the majority of kids that are aged, you know, zero to 10, 11 years old, they don't understand sarcasm. They will not get it. So if you're using sarcasm to, you know, talk to your kid and, and they're just, you know, and then not getting it and you say, well, you just can't take a joke when they get upset or whatever, that's completely inappropriate and abusive mm-hmm. because they don't get it. They mm-hmm. don't understand it. So if that is happening, like absolutely stop. But I love how you explained that conversation with your daughter, Ami, because like that's exactly parents can fuck up we can fuck up amazingly. Right. But if we're, if we're willing and we're gonna, I mean, that's just part of parenting. We're gonna, we're gonna fuck it up all the time. Mm -hmm. But if we're willing to go and have that conversation, take accountability, take responsibility and apologize to our kid, the kid will, our kids will forgive almost anything if we're willing to do that. Right. And it's going to be okay. It's going to improve your relationship even more. There'll be a better understanding between the two people, just like there was with you and your daughter. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. See, learning to shift parenting perspective from interrogation to guiding and supporting. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
one of the things is how much, you know, we're in t- I want you to talk about this one. And also how much of this is parents are actually interrogating versus kids feeling interrogated. Cause again, this is one of those right. nuanced things that we don't, <laughs> you know, that we don't get, but we need to understand as parents. So explain this area for right. us. Right. For sure. I know. I feel like, like my seven year old already, you know, I will speak to her in a firm voice when I want her to stop doing something and she'll look at me and she'll be, stop yelling at me. And I'm like, <gasps> I didn't yell at you. <laughs> like, like, I did not raise my voice. I'm not yelling. And but that's one of the things that all the time since the beginning of my career till up till now, and is a major thing that teenagers will come to session and they'll say, <laughs> "My mom yelled at me yesterday. It was really bad." And I'll say, "Did she raise her voice, or did she speak firmly to you about something that she's frustrated about?" And almost nine times out of ten, it's well, she didn't really yell, but she spoke <laughs> firmly. It's like, okay. Right, right. right. <laughs> it's that emotional piece you know, of the teenage brain, right? Yeah. Totally. Told, they're so emotional, teenagers. So when teenagers almost always are going to feel interrogated when parents or, you know, adults are coming at them with, why did you do this? What is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? You know, like those sorts of things. Like I feel interrogated when people, when my spouse asks, me that or you know my coworkers would ask me that um so I think like the best thing for parents of teens can do is just kind of try and avoid those particular lines of questioning especially when the moment is tense but you could say things like I'm I would love to understand how this happened and that's it and then just be quiet mm-hmm. and chances are if you're quiet long enough they'll start talking. Or if they don't start talking, say, can you please help me understand how this happened? You know, let tell me what happened here so I can understand. And that I think teenagers often when they're emotional, again, they're emotional all the time, right? right? But sometimes they'll still feel interrogated by that line of questioning. And if they verbalize that to you, if they say like, Oh, my gosh, geez, you're just Stop with the question, you know, okay, maybe this is the moment they have flipped their lid, okay? They are now in their, like, emotional center in their brain. They're in fight, flight, or freeze. There's no reasoning. There's no rationalization that's getting through. Now's not the time to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. So let's disengage, and I will, okay, you know what? You're right. Now's not the time for us to talk about this. Let's, Let's take a break. You, you know, go sit on your, your YouTube or go Netflix and do whatever you do with your games. And I'm going to take a break too. We'll talk about this later. Give them time to like connect that, that brain, that thinking brain with the feeling brain again and get out of fight, flight, or freeze. And then you can have a conversation. Yeah. And I think parents inherently, if they get drawn into the conflict themselves, you know, they, mm-hmm. it just turns into the swirling battle. And I, you know, the parent is probably going to have to just be the one that sucks it up and recognizes that this isn't moving forward, that there are two Always. parts of our brain, one's emotional, one's the executive function <laughs> part. And when you're screaming, mm-hmm. guaranteed, you're not using the executive function of it. And to just no. say, whoa, check out. And that doesn't mean, you know, I think some parents might think they're, well, it means I'm giving into my kid and it's, you know, and mm-hmm. that's not true, right? Like, you know, no, disengaging from the battle doesn't mean you've just given away, you know, given up the, the fight to your kid. 
Right. When people look at, you know, I have a lot of clients tell me that and they'll say, well, I feel like I'm giving it or I feel like they're winning or I'm, I'm losing. I need to, you know, when you start looking at relationships as winning or losing, who's really winning? Right. You know, like you have to start thinking about it as I not winning or losing, not um, them getting their way and me not getting my way, but thinking about long-term, how am I preparing my child for making and maintaining relationships in the future? How am I preparing my child for problem solving here, creative solutions to manage their emotions? Am I giving them the opportunity to manage their emotions right now and learn what it's like to connect their executive function brain with their feeling brain? Or am I making it work Mm -hmm. just because I want to win or just because I I don't want them to get their way? Well, and I was going to say, I'm sorry to to step in there, Um, but it's, but that's, you know, that's also a really good skill as an adult <laughs> when you're dealing yes. with somebody. Yes. You know, um, that, Absolutely. Right? I mean, how many times have we gotten into mm-hmm. shouting matches, you know, with somebody, like, especially, you know, between domestic partners or, you know, couples and husband and wives and, and whatever, where we're mm-hmm. just, and, and mm-hmm. realizing that you're just, you're infuriating each other and not really making any Yeah. Yeah. We feel like we're successfully winning because we've frustrated the shit out of somebody else. But in reality, Mm -hmm. we probably haven't moved that needle forward the way we want. Yeah. Nobody's winning. No. The last one, and like I said, there's several that are actually in the course that we didn't cover here, but um, learning to assess and address what is the big stuff versus the little stuff. And what Mm -hmm. do you mean by by this piece here? Well, the big stuff, you know, like I always said, my dad growing up, my dad always got more upset about the little things and the big things. So for example, like one time we were playing catch, we were playing softball and I threw the ball. I don't know how I was probably nine. I threw the ball like really high in the air and it went, you know, kind of off a little bit towards the driveway and he was running to catch it. And he got stopped by the station wagon that was in our driveway <laughs> and the ball hit the station wagon's windshield on the other side. He couldn't reach it. So mm-hmm. like windshield broken. And I was so upset and I was so scared that he was going to be upset. I'm like, holy shit. I just right. I'm <laughs> oh my God. He's so going to yell at me. And he was like, it's okay, honey. Not a big deal. Like totally cool about it. Shit happens. And I was like, I remember being like, I mean, obviously I'm 43 years old. I still remember this very clearly. So obviously it impacted me. So, so, but then there were other times where like, I would be like trying to squirt the ketchup that's running out, you know, like squirt bottles of ketchup, they run out and it's like, you know, you want to squeeze everything out of it, but it farts it everywhere. Yeah. So like, I was like, like tr- holding it up and down, trying to shake the ketchup out of it so it wouldn't fart. And then I would squeeze it a little and it would fart. And then I'd repeat this process. And my dad, I remember him looking at me and being like, if you do that one more time, you're going to your bed, you're going to bed without dinner. And I was like, shit, what do you, in my head, I'm thinking, well, shit, what do you mean? The, the jerking it or the squeezing it? Like, <laughs> right? So I'm like, I got a 50-50 shot here, right? And so I took a chance and I squeezed it. And it farted, and he was like, "That's it, you're going to your room." And I'm like, <laughs> "Well, now you know. <laughs> now I know. Next time that happens, don't squeeze it." So, like, what I mean by big things and little things is like, what is worth losing your shit over? Mm-hmm. What do you really want to step in and engage in here? I mean, what can you really say so what to? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, again, your reaction or your response is going to mean everything to your child. How you respond 
isn't it, it isn't necessarily the words you use it's the message coming from you it's your energy about the situation mm -hmm. so when we're reacting from that emotional center just to get even back to what we were talking about in the beginning like what power is coming from you what message are you sending to your teenager mm -hmm. and they're not listening to your words but they damn well are listening to that message that's coming from you so what do you want to choose to make a big deal out of and what can you let go and turn into an opportunity to learn something? Cool. Well, and, and, and so this isn't really, um, you know, kind of converse on this one is when your kids bring up things that they feel are big stuff and little stuff. And this isn't about mm -hmm. minimizing how a kid feels about something. Cause I know adults can, you know, can take a, a, an issue that a child brings to us and then go, you know what, that's really not that big of a deal and, and minimize their yeah. feelings about it and stuff. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's not what you're getting at. Right. And so parents need to that's be, that's not what I'm getting at. Yeah. And, and parents need to know, like, so how do they know when they need to, when the kid is telling them something that they might feel is not a big deal, but definitely their kid thinks mm -hmm. it's a big deal. Absolutely. Because it's not about you. It's not about the parent. If you're, if your child is coming to you with, or a teenager is coming to you with something that like, doesn't seem like a big deal to you. Like so-and-so didn't like my post on Snapchat or on Facebook. And you're like, so maybe they haven't seen it yet. No big deal. But to your teenager, it seems like a big deal. So then, okay, tell me how you feel about that. Mm -hmm. You know, that can be your response. And so, well, tell me more how, well, how does that make you feel that they haven't liked it yet? And chances are they're saying that it's a little bid for attention. Mm -hmm. They're saying Susie Q hasn't liked my post on Facebook yet. It's a bid for your attention. They want, they're basically saying to you, I want a listening ear. I, I want to get emotional here, but I'm too proud because I'm a teenager to like ask you to listen to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to express this frustration as a bid for attention so that you'll hear me out. So if you respond with, you know, tell me how that makes you feel, you know, what do you think is going on? Let them process it through so that they can get out of their emotional head about it. And maybe their, you know, their executive function will kick in and say, oh, well, maybe she's just busy or, oh yeah, I remember she has practice. Okay. Well, it doesn't mean she doesn't like me. She's just at practice right now. We'll talk later. And then they're off to the races and they're fine. But I think the biggest thing, too, about the, the little things and the big things is, too, like, when we communicate, if we focus too much on the little things with our teens, we're, we risk sending that message that we care more about the little things than we do about them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to say that, too. Well, I, I like that you yeah. had, uh, touched on the bid for attention piece of it, too, because I think that that's, mm -hmm. um, I know that I've said that, you know, that the kids, they'll be independent when they want the independence. When they are spreading their wings and testing their boundaries, mm -hmm. they do that all on their own. They, you don't need to force them mm -hmm. into it. You don't need to cut them off and make them grow up or anything like that. And when they are asking you for something, it's because they actually need something from you. And, 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 and it's not your yeah. job to say, no, tough it up. You know, I mean, it's like mm -hmm. kids will be independent when they want it. They'll come to you when they need it. Right. Exactly. And, and the toughen up thing, like the, you know, it's just, I just wish that we would just lose that. Yeah. I just, you know, kids know when they have to, I mean, we think that these teens don't know anything. Are you kidding me? They fucking know more shit than we do half the time. <laughs> so, like, you know what I mean? Like they're listening, they're paying attention. They, they know what's going on. So like in certain situations, they know when they need to toughen up, but sometimes they just need their mom. They right. need their dad. Even when they're 16, you know, they need to talk. 
So, so for parents out there that have been listening and now they're ready to jump in and they want to learn more about this, um, why don't you tell everybody how they can find this program and, and what's involved with it? Yeah, I think the link is going to be posted um, in the, the description with this podcast, but they can go to my website, which is uh, www.psychotherapist, and it's psycho spelled with a K, so it's P-S-Y-K-O therapist.com, and they can find it on there. It's uh, easy, easy to find. You can find me on Facebook at Jax Anderson Counseling and Consulting. And, um, geez, I, even on Instagram at the psychotherapist, I think there's a link to it on there as well. So you can find it pretty much, um, anywhere you can find me <laughs> and really literally it's, it's seven days, less than 10 minutes a day. I have you just listen to a video, um, you know, dot, print a little worksheet that'll help you at the end of the day, using that strategy, uh, review the skill. And then, you know, after seven days, it's done. but keep using those skills after you learn them, seven different skills. Cool. Very cool. Well, Jax, thank you so much. Um, And for everybody that is listening out here, um, you're going to be on a couple more times because we've got so many great topics. Your experience in working with teenagers is amazing. So we're going to be touching on a few other topics. Thank you today for for coming out here and, uh, well, not coming out. You're sitting at your house. I'm at my house. That's how podcasting works. Um, (laughs) (laughs) we won't tell everybody what our podcasting is i appreciate it a lot of fun yeah cool um so you know let's not talk about that yeah yeah. (laughs) um this has been another episode of one broken mom like i said you can get the podcast description on my website which is amiqueercony.com i'll have links to uh, links to jack's site i'll have a link directly to the page that describes her course on how to strengthen your relationship with your teenager And if you have any messages or suggestions on topics or anything like that, please go ahead and contact me. You can also find me on Facebook. You can also go to the website at amiquercone.com. Use that contact form. Send it along. Um, Jax Anderson, the psychotherapist, I want to thank you again. And for everybody that's out there, um, I'm always grateful for your listening to this. And I hope you all have a great day.